All right, so the title of my message this morning is Love That Needs to Be Touched, and it's the story of Mary of Bethany, and it's my Mother's Day message for May 14th, 2017. And what we're going to do is we're going to dive right into Scripture, and we're going to read. There are three accounts of this story in the Bible, but uh, I picked this one because I think it's got some incredible detail, and then I'll fill in the blanks for the other one. So if you have your Bible with you or you're taking notes, it's going to be Mark chapter 14. And we're going to start at verse 3. It's going to be verses 3 through 9. Mark 14, verses 3 through 9. And it'll come up on the screen here in just one moment. This is a powerful story, and there are a lot of powerful components to it. So we'll read the story, and then I'll break it down for you, okay? And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why are you troubling her? She's done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She's done what she could. She's come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, that what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. So you can see that Jesus wanted this story to be told. And wherever the gospel was, was preached, anywhere all over the world, he wanted us to remember what Mary did. Now, there are three accounts of this story, and I've read all three accounts a lot. So I'm going to fill in all the blanks for you. We're not going to read all versions of the story. Understand that with each different gospel story of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of those four stories give a unique perspective. It'd be like you and I going on a vacation 10 years ago to a far-off land or going fishing out on the North Jetty, staying overnight for three or four days, and then retelling the story years later. I'm going to have an account of how it went from my perspective, and you'll have an account of how it went from your perspective. They'll be similar, but there'll be different details to the story. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this story into context. I know it really well, and we're just going to story tell a little bit, Okay. First of all, if we go back to verse 3, it's important that we understand uh, Bethany. Jesus would visit Bethany a lot. It was about two miles from Jerusalem, and it was a place he often liked to go. Bethany means the house of dates or the house of misery, one or the other. And it's a parallel or a contrast for everybody's life. Either you can have a house of date going on in your life, or you can have a house of misery. Let me tell you why. How many of you have ever seen a date palm? Anybody? All right. So a, a, the word date in Greek is the actual word for finger. It's the actual word for finger. And the reason for that is because dates look like fingers hanging in the palm tree. All right? And so Jesus would often go through Bethany performing miracles and signs and wonders with a desire to bring his presence and his power. And I would define that as the finger of God touching that city, all right? But there was another incredible uh, thing that happened in Bethany that 
had Jesus not come to the rescue, it would have been a house of misery. And that was the death of Lazarus. Okay? Now, I know a lot of you may not know a lot of Bible stories, so what I'll do is I'll just introduce you to ideas and concepts, and then what I want to encourage you to do is to take them home and make them personal for yourself, all right? So, Jesus had been to Bethany before, and when he went to Bethany, there were two sisters, Martha and Mary, and they had a brother named Lazarus. And the Bible says that they were probably well-to-do mainly because when Lazarus died, they had a tomb with a stone in front of it. And the only ones that would have tombs with stones in front of them would usually be those that were a little bit more well-off. They didn't get those types of burials. Also, we saw in the story that she had an alabaster flask of very costly oil. One of the other gospel versions says that it was one pound of spikenard oil. Now, a pound of spikenard oil today would cost about $600. But in that day, in A.D. 33... That one pound of spikenard oil was a year's worth of wages and would translate to about $250,000 if you were to compare the the cost between now and then. So spikenard oil is very, very expensive. And so Jesus would pass through Bethany and got an invitation by Martha to come hang out for dinner at his house. And Jesus decides to go. And while he's there... Martha is a busybody. She's just working like crazy. She's cooking food. She's making sure everybody's happy. Her prime focus and function is hospitality, but she's doing it to a fault. So much so that instead of enjoying the guests, she's worried about everything that's going on around the house, which we've all done at one time or another. We're more concerned about making sure that all the aesthetics are right, the food's right, that everybody's happy and we're miserable in the context of it, or we don't get to enjoy the company we had over. You ever had a party? You were so excited. A lot of people were coming over, parties over, and you're exhausted, and you didn't even get to talk to your friends, right? We know that. I often talk about that in the context of weddings. You'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars to make sure all the aesthetics of the wedding, you'll be worried, you'll be nervous, you'll be anxious, you'll freak out, be afraid all the way up to the day. Things aren't going right or one thing goes wrong and you're having a cow. I can't tell you how many brides I've had to comfort the day before or when I showed up. Because what a wedding's really about is not the cake, not the decorations, not the lights, and all those things. And though those things are important, what it's really about is the presence of God showing up because I've been to too many weddings where God's not there. And when the presence of God comes, it doesn't matter whether the tablecloths were right, the right color or not. It doesn't matter whether you had the right flowers or something went awry. In fact, I've officiated a wedding where one of the bridesmaids lost the diamond ring right before they walked up for the ceremony. It had, and they couldn't find it. And I mean, the, the bride was having a cow. To no end, she was freaking out. And they couldn't find it. Because the ring had fallen inside her dress, right in by her bra, and she didn't know it. And they looked everywhere, and they found it only when she took off the dress after the ceremony. <laughs> it was a tragedy. It was a tragedy. I'm telling you, it was a tragedy. And then it poured rain. Actually, you know, I'm telling the story on Chris and Jessica Stewart because Chris Stewart and Jessica will be here for the conference, and she'll even tell you the story. And uh, they were supposed to have it at this big, beautiful outdoor ranch, and, of course, it poured rain that day, right? So we wound up having it in this small little old Church of Christ, and I have to tell you, all the decorations, everything she did was thrown out the window, but you know what happened at that ceremony? 
God showed up. And it was powerful. And it was awesome because the Lord teaches you not to rely and lean on your own strength. Okay? And so anyway, so Martha's working and she's busybody. And Mary, her sister, is just sitting at the feet captivated. Completely captivated. And Martha gets so irritated at what Mary's doing that Martha comes and starts complaining to Jesus. And she tells Jesus, don't you even care what's happening here? I'll paraphrase it for you. Can't you see that I'm working so hard to make this a nice experience for everybody? And all my sister is doing is just sitting down at your feet listening to you? Tell her to get up and work and help me. And Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha. Two times he says her name. And he says, basically, that what Mary's doing is the most important thing. It's more important that she learns to sit at my feet and learns to, to hear my voice and what I have to say more than being busy about the work of preparing a meal. And there's a message in that. And the message is we can be so concerned with the work of ministry or the work of our life, pursuing and chasing after all these other things, we can even get born again and then decide I'm going to start serving the Lord and our service misses the most important thing, which is sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, I'm setting you up for what, what this story is. So then fast forward. Lazarus, Lazarus, their brother, dies. And if you haven't read the story of Lazarus being resurrected, I'm not going to tell it to you today. You need to read it, but I will tell you this. The resurrection of Lazarus was the seventh creative miracle that Jesus did, and it was his final one. Of all the supernatural miracles Jesus did, this was number seven, which means it was finished. And it was this one miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead that would seal his death wish. Of all the times, I mean, the Pharisees were mad a lot of the times. And they were constantly trying to trip Jesus up. And they were angry and they were getting madder and madder. And every year and every day and every time Jesus would, they would get more angry and more angry and more angry. And then Jesus would seal the deal, the icing on the cake to kill Jesus would be the resurrection of Lazarus. In fact, the resurrection of Lazarus is so profound and so symbolic and so powerful that the Pharisees not only wanted to kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus. And the Bible says that the Pharisees sought to kill Lazarus, and Lazarus didn't do anything wrong but get resurrected from the dead. <laughs> and that's what I want you to know, is as soon as you make the decision to go all in with Jesus and be sold out, sit at his feet. You're going to have family members who are going to say you're wasting your time. You're going to have people that are going to persecute you and say you're wasting your time. Christianity's false. It's a lie. What's the matter with you? People are going to seek out your life to kill you at some point, some way. We have it easy in America, but there are nations all over the world that if you're a Christian, one, you can't meet like this unless it's underground. Or number two, if you get caught with the Bible, you will die. We, live, we have it so easy and so comfortably now. And I don't think it's always going to be that way. But I'm going to sit at his feet full time. And I'm not going to care what anybody has to say. Amen. So Jesus goes to the house of dates. Lazarus has already been resurrected. We went through that whole experience. Martha and Mary were weeping and crying. He was dead four days. Jesus purposely delayed his going to Bethany to resurrect Lazarus so that Lazarus would be completely and fully dead. It'll confound your religious thinking. As soon as Jesus heard that Lazarus was dead, he said, well, we'll wait two more days to go. Or when he was sick, he said, we'll wait. Because the purpose was to demonstrate his deity, his power, 
not only to all the Jews, but also to his disciples. And he even said, this is a good thing for you that I didn't go any sooner, or you wouldn't have got to witness an, an, a, this kind of creative miracle, which was all symbolic of our lives. So Jesus, right before he goes to Jerusalem, right before Palm Sunday, just a few days before, he heads to Bethany for one last supper. And this, well, he'll have one more supper, which is the last supper, but one last dinner with his friends. And he decides to go to Simon the leper's house. Now, chances are highly likely that Simon was no longer a leper, but he was known by his sickness and most likely known for the fact that he had been healed. Chances are likely that all the disciples would not be hanging out with somebody that has leprosy because leprosy is highly, highly contagious, okay? And so... Simon most likely had been healed, and this is the only account that we hear about Simon the leper. You know who Simon the leper was? Was Judas Iscariot's dad. And Judas Iscariot would be the one disciple that would betray Jesus. And this act that you just read, that we read together, would be the one final act that would cause Jesus, Judas to be filled with anger and hate and deception because if you keep on reading the story, as soon as Jesus rebuked the disciples for troubling Mary and says it'll be a memorial, Judas gets up and heads right to the chief priest and sells out for 32 pieces of silver. Isn't that crazy? Now we're going to talk about why that happened and we're going to remember Mary today because the message isn't taught a lot. So I'm going to teach you some really fun facts like what Bethany means. God wants your house to be a house of Bethany, a house of dates. In fact, if you ever look up the, what dates are good for, if dates, if you just Google the, 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 what dates are the good things, the good qualities of dates, what they're good for, you won't believe all the qualities that they have to help you in your personal life, okay? And so he goes to Simon the leper's house. He's sitting at the table, and Mary, because another version makes it clear that it's Mary, comes having an alabaster flask. Now, what is an alabaster flask? This is very important. Alabaster is a very soft, pliable, moldable, marble-type material. It's very easy to carve and whittle. And so there, back in the day, a lot of uh, bottles and jars and little ornaments were sculpted. It's very pure white. So it's this pure white. It can have a tint of gray due to iron oxide in it, but it's very soft and very pliable which is a picture of the believer's life. There's an analogy here, and the analogy is thank you. And the analogy is, is that God wants us to constantly be broken open. He wants us to be soft and pliable to contain the beauty of the Lord and the fragrance of the Lord. There's another scripture that says we're the fragrance. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 2.14. says that we're the fragrance of God to some life to some death. And what comes out of us either smells good or it smells really bad. Either you smell good or you stink. That's the premise of it, okay? And so what's coming out of your life? A good fragrance or a bad fragrance, okay? And so God fills us up with his life inside of us, but it requires us to give up everything that's costly and that we deem important. So let's go back to the scripture. And so she comes with this oil of spikenard inside an alabaster jar. It's a, la a large goblet, okay? And uh, she breaks the flask open. Now, there's a couple important things. Once that flask is broken, there's no going back. It's kind of like once you squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube, 
It's never going back in, all right? That's what I can tell you. It's very hard to get the toothpaste back in the tube. And so she breaks it open, which is a sign of her complete brokenness and openness to give everything away. Now, let's talk about spikenard for a moment. Spikenard is actually known as nard, okay? Nard is a, uh, Jeremy will pull it up. Nard is a, it's got these little purple hanging flowers on, or I'm sorry, pink hanging flowers on them with the spike on the top. So it's called spikenard because of this beautiful, incredible property that comes from it. It's a thick, a real good pure spikenard oil, which is very, very expensive, is like a thick amber-colored oil. It's very thick in consistency. And it has three properties to it. One, it smells incredibly good. I mean incredibly good. So good that the prostitutes of the town would use it as an aroma when they were hooking up with men, but it was also used in the anointing for ceremonial purposes, okay, for ceremonial purposes. It would not be the oil that was normally used when somebody comes into the house on that day. That would be olive oil, but the spikenard oil was very costly. It comes from the Himalayan mountains in Asia, China, and India, and Chile, so getting this oil in that day was very, very difficult to do. So for a woman to ever give up the spikenard oil, it either was for a return or something extremely valuable. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I taught you about the prostitute, or the Bible says the town harlot or the sinner out of Luke chapter 7. She did a similar act as what, Mary, what we just read Mary doing. But she did it as a complete and total act of devotion and love and a desire to completely save and, redeem, and be redeemed. And it was done in front of the Pharisees. And it was powerful. It was extremely powerful. But this context is different than that. Only Luke tells the story of the prostitute anointing Jesus' feet with her, with her tears, wiping them with her hair. Only Luke does. And there's a reason for that. Because the other three Gospels, which were written by the original disciples, you have to remember, Luke was not an original disciple. Okay, so Luke doesn't tell the story of Mary of Bethany, but the other three do. But the other three don't tell the story of the prostitute. And I thought, well, why is that? And I'm going to tell you why I believe. I'm going to take some liberty and tell you why I believe. Because as soon as Mary broke open the alabaster jar and anoints Jesus, the disciples were filled with indignation and ticked off and offended and mad and started gossiping and beating down Mary for what she was doing. So I just have to suspect that they somehow decided, you know, that um, then we're going to tell that story the same way. And so Mary breaks open the alabaster jar and the spikenard comes out and fills the whole house. She pours it on his head, and it goes down his body and goes down to his feet. Let's bring the scripture back up. She fully anoints Jesus and pours out all that was valuable to her and that she had saved out upon Jesus' feet. And the disciples were indignant. Go back to verse 4. But when, they saw, when some who were there saw that they were indignant, and they said among themselves, why was this fragrant oil wasted? You know what it means to be indignant? Think about that for a minute. To be indignant means that you're extremely displeased and you're offended. 
It means to be offended to the point of actually being afflicted. I'm so angry and so mad at what is happening here. This is such an utter, complete waste that she would take a year's worth of wages, $250,000 of our value today, a whole year's worth of wages, break open the bottle and dump waste, rendering it useless and ineffective is what they believe. You just totally wasted a whole year and poured it out on Jesus. And they were so ticked off that they were offended. And they began to show their anger. It means to show your anger and be extremely annoyed. How many of you have ever gotten annoyed with people or religious situations? And a lot of times we misunderstand. Think of, put yourself in that context. Chances are highly likely that some of them thought to themselves, that's a typical minister. This is a typical experience, giving your money to the church, wasting all that you have on Jesus' feet. Look at Jesus. They were, they were mad. They were offended. Another version in John says that, that Judas Iscariot stands up and says, this is such a terrible waste. This money could have been sold and given to the poor for 300 denarii, about a year's worth of wages. And then John makes a very important point. You can read it in John's gospel. He says, not that Judas cared for the poor because he was a thief. And he, owned the, he oversaw the money box. You know, Judas was the treasurer, right? Of all the disciples, he had the money bag. And it says that he would take the money that was, with, that was in it so Judas, when he would see the money wasted on Jesus' head, wasted, what would he do? He'd be so offended that he would get up and he'd head right to the chief priest's house to sell Jesus out. Isn't that crazy what some people will do? There, people do those things today. I deal with it all the time. People don't understand the way we worship, why we worship, sitting at Jesus' feet, crying, weeping, emotional, lifting our hands, making Jesus the main thing. Why don't we take the money that we spend for you fill it in and go give it to the poor? Our job shouldn't be having church the way that we do it and building this building and our lights and staff. We should be giving all that money away to the poor. And Jesus makes a profound statement. He says, the poor you have with you always and whenever you want, you can do to them. But me, you won't have always. And even though we get to have Jesus full-time now until he comes back, until the end comes, the point is, is that he wants to be your number one. He needs to be the main thing. What's more important is not giving your money away, serving at the soup kitchen, going out to help us on our outreaches. That's not what's most important, though that is important. And they go hand in hand. You can't just have religious piety and not go love people. You can't just sit in here and never have a resulting action that happens in you that moves you to go take care of God's people because the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart mind and strength and love your neighbor likewise it's the cross okay it's first vertical and then horizontal so we get the main thing the main thing and so they were indignant they were offended they were angry and then it says that they began to criticize her sharply Another version, the King James Version, says that they murmured against her. You know what murmuring and, and criticizing sharply is? Gossip, backstabbing, tearing her down. They were angry at her now. Not only were they mad at the whole account of her wasting the oil, but they were now angry at Mary, so they started to criticize her sharply. And to criticize sharply means to slander, 
It means to lie about, blame, charge with an offense, and the actual Greek understanding is to snort with anger or sigh with disgust. And it kind of goes like this. You do something, and a family member, a friend, or somebody looks at you and goes, and just gives you that look and snorts out of their nose, snorts with anger. That's what the word means. And they just degrade you for the lifestyle that you're choosing to live. There's a reason why, why Jesus said, always tell this story when the gospel's preached, okay? And there's a reason why God used, allowed a prostitute and two Marys, two Simons. One was a Pharisee. Now we're at the leper's house. He's doing these comparisons with two stories so that we can get a full grasp and understanding of what real devotion and love looks like. It's powerful. And the fact that people are going to snort with anger, sigh with disgust, slander you, blame you. And especially if you come to a church like this, where we believe in the power of God, where we go after the power of God, where we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and praying in tongues, where we prophesy and lay hands on the sick, where we have prophetic conferences, where we let worship happen the way that it happens instead of being policy and religiously driven. People aren't going to like that. I'm just telling you. But so what? It doesn't matter because people desperately need it. And you can already see people are hungry and thirsty for more of what the Lord has in store for their lives. And it needs to be more than just going to church and good religion. You got to have power encounters. I had some incredible power encounters this weekend. I sat next to a, a, a woman who is a cancer doctor and takes care of cancer patients from Canada and I started, struck up a conversation with her, and we wound up talking about the Lord, and she didn't really know him, and she didn't really fully understand, and she was so nice. And I said, well, uh, I, I believe the Lord's showing me that you had a dream. And she's like, yeah, I had a dream that I keep being reminded of from 10 years ago. I interpret the dream. We start crying, and it's powerful. Anytime I'd try to talk about the Bible or Christianity or Jesus, I would get deflected. But as soon as I started talking about the love of God and the supernatural power of God, and I didn't get swayed whether somebody believes in the Bible or not, you just need to know most people that are unbelievers living outside of these doors don't believe in the Bible. That's why you've got to take stories like this and make them personal, and now you become the living word. So when I'm acting like a fool dancing or I'm kneeling at the front or I'm bawling my eyes out, I don't care because I know I'm like that alabaster jar breaking myself open and pouring out everything that's most important to me at his feet. And I don't even have to quote Bible stories. You become the living word, okay? And so they began to criticize her sharply. They were extremely angry and they were murmuring. And so Jesus says, stop troubling her. To trouble somebody means to, to cut them down, to beat them down with grief and sorrow and trouble and to put works upon them. That's the understanding of that word, why are you troubling her? You can see it right there on the scripture. So what they were doing was they got offended first. That's why we teach when you get offended, that, that whatever it is that makes you offended is often in you first. And so they got offended, and then they put that offense on her and then weighed her down. And you're in a group context setting. Another version says she took her hair down and wiped, her, wiped his feet with her hair. Another incredible act of devotion. And everybody around was cut to the heart and started to cut her down and make her feel like what she was doing 
was inadequate, inappropriate, and they put a weight on her, and that's what religion does. Let's all make a decision to not be religious. Let's make a decision to rediscover the Bible and rediscover Jesus for who he really is. Let's make a decision to understand the kindness and the goodness of the Lord and not try to always be converting and speaking Christianese all the time. Let's love really, really well. So when people look at you, they see the beauty and the radiance of God and they say, what is it about you? Because you're different than everyone else. What is it? You could be clubbing, partying, sleeping around, doing drugs, selling drugs. And even if you are right now, you need to know that God loves you so much. And in his kindness, he's not backing down from you. You need to know that. But when you could be doing something else and you make a choice to stay home on a Friday night and all your old friends are calling you up, when you make a choice to say, no, I'm not going to click that and see that and drink that and smoke that, but I'm going to love my kids. All, I can be so exhausted. I mean, I'm, last night I was putting my, my daughter to bed and I'm rubbing her back and I caught myself with my, my head was bobbing. I was so tired. It's dark. The fan, we got worship music on. I mean, I want to go to, it's 830 and I'm ready for bed. But I don't care because what matters more to me is understanding the greatness and the beauty of who is and giving him all that I've got. And in the way I love my wife and my family and the way that I serve and I care is a laid down life. I lay it all down for the sake of the call because it's not about me anymore. And it's a process and I sure have not fully arrived. But I am telling you, I'm on the journey and God wants you on the journey. And this is a picture of the journey. So Jesus said, leave her alone, stop troubling her. What she's done is a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you want, you can do them good. But me, you don't have always. Verse 8, she's done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Now let's leave it right there. Remember the spike nard? I was telling you it has a beautiful fragrance. You know what else? The other qualities, you can Wikipedia this. You know the other qualities of spike nard besides an incredibly great fragrance? It has two other qualities to it. It's a mild sedative, and it is used for homeopathic medicine. Now, a sedative, I'll do a little fun teaching. Now, I'm not a doctor, and some of you are going to know medical terms better than I do. But let me tell you the difference between a sedative and analgesic, analgesic, however you say it, and an, an anesthetic. Okay? So an anesthetic is designed to knock you out or numb out or to feel no pain. You can put it on bruises, canker sores, and the premises, an anesthetic completely numbs it so I feel nothing. And analgesic is our opioids or their painkillers designed to kill the pain so that you don't feel the pain anymore. Now, Jesus would have to fully feel all the weight and the pain of the cross, and he would be tempted to take an analgesic. You know the most, most popular Analgesic today, oxycontin, oxycodone, opioids, okay? And I'll tell you the most popular sedative here in a minute. But Jesus would be offered an analgesic while he was on the cross to kill the pain. You know what it would be? It would be a sponge dipped in myrrh and vinegar or wine, vinegar wine. And Jesus would refuse it. Because Jesus would have to fully feel the weight and the pain of the cross. I had somebody once tell me, what if Jesus didn't feel any pain on the cross? I said, I don't believe that. I believe Jesus had to completely feel the weight and the pain of all of the sin and to fully resolve the conflict between God and man to reconcile us back to himself. I believe that. 
I also want to make sure everybody understands that I don't believe the cross was a demonstration of how bad our sin was and that he had to do it because we were such bad sinners. I think the cross is the greatest demonstration of what love is. I don't see it as that. It is an instrument of death, and it did resolve the sin, but it was really the greatest picture of greater love has no man than this that I'm going to give it all for you. It's powerful, right? And so an analgesic is a painkiller. A sedative, though, a sedative done in the right form ultimately only relaxes you. It's kind of like men, whenever you do go for a colonoscopy, or there's, there's certain things that you get sedatives for, okay? You get a sedative, and the purpose of a sedative is to just re, to calm anxiety or to bring peace or to help you to relax a little bit, okay? And the most, now sedatives combined with other drugs becomes hypnotics, and then it causes you to be blackout or knocked out. The most common form of a sedative today is alcohol. That's the most common form of a sedative. So people will have one glass of wine or one beer, and it relaxes them. It calms them down after the end of the day. They love Jesus, and for them, it's not a sin. Some people think it's a sin because of your background and your past. I'm going to tell you, you have to be led by the Lord. I'm not preaching for it or against it. you got to be spirit-led. If you have an addictive personality and have not been healed of that, you better never touch a drop of alcohol. The problem is, is what should be a little minor sedative to relax your whatever turns into two glasses, three glasses, a bottle, five shots. The next thing you know, you're blacked out, knocked out, and wake up with somebody you don't even know the next day. Okay? That's the problem. All right? And so, it says that she's done what she could. She came beforehand to do what? Do you think that Mary really knew that this year worth, year's worth of, of spikenard was saved up for Jesus' burial? Probably not. In fact, some of the other um, commentaries say that Mary, which we don't see her having a husband, that Mary was somehow either inherited this or it was saved up for a dowry for her wedding. But for whatever the purpose is, have you ever had something very valuable or, or really worth a lot of money or a real treasure or a real heirloom that really isn't your thing, but you know you're supposed to keep it for one day for someone else? Do you have anything in your life that's a real treasure that you know one day you're going to want to give to somebody or do something with, but you don't really know? Or the Lord just tells you, hang on to that. You don't really know why, but hang on to it. And so she'd been saving up a year's worth of this incredibly expensive spikenard. I mean, that's a lot in that time, but probably didn't really know it. So, and Jesus probably didn't really realize what was happening until it was happening. And when she pours that out, it clicks. This was saved beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Because in two days, Jesus would experience the most critical, brutal, excruciating pain you could ever experience. I'm talking about sides cut open, beards plucked out, crowns in your head, mockery tortured, 39 lashes with whips of, of glass and lead that ripped your back out. I'm talking, I think the Passion movie was probably pale in comparison to what really happened, though it did a pretty good job. I thought Mel Gibson did a great job of portraying what Jesus went through in that man. I bawled my eyes out. It was probably more intense. So now can you imagine Jesus finally gets sent into the, pal into the palace guard and he's now up head, about to head to the cross, and they start the mockery, and they start with the crowns and the purple robe, and they start spitting on him and hurling insults at him. And all the while that they're mocking him and they're spitting at him, and they're pulling out the hair out of his beard, 
All the while, they're going, what's that smell? And all the while that Jesus is being tormented and beat down and crushed, there's a fragrance being released out of his life. Because certainly this guy, either A, is or he isn't, and some of them probably hurled even more insults because of the smell, because in those days, if a man had spikenard on them, trust me, he was hanging out with the wrong woman. Do you understand? The prostitute would anoint herself with spikenard. And so Jesus is now covered in this fragrance that is a beautiful, mild sedative, not that he did drugs. I'm not saying that he didn't feel any of the pain. I'm just saying that Jesus would be comforted in strength by what Mary did in her act of devotion and laying everything down and pouring out her whole life and giving everything up. Instead of being more concerned about her wedding day, she was more concerned about Jesus, her bridegroom. And she would completely pour out this fragrance upon him. And now Jesus would go to the cross smelling like a beautiful fragrance of spikenard, which is a picture of us laying our lives down to be released for everyone. Because if you go back, let's just pull the scripture up. I didn't plan to do this, but let's pull it up. Go to 2 Corinthians 2.14. It's actually 15, but we'll read 14. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses. If you're into essential oils, you got to really get into the spikenard thing, by the way. Spikenard is an essential oil. You sell it. I know you do. And others do too, okay? So spikenard is an essential oil. But check this out. If you've ever had an oil diffuser, you'll understand that we are designed and created to be a diffuser of the fragrance of God. So it says, through us, he diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we're to God, the fragrance of Christ. And among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one or the other, who are we the fragrance of? We're the fragrance of Christ. We're just spiritual diffusers designed to release the life that God has instilled in all of us. There's one last thing that I want to say. If you go back to the scriptures in Mark 14, verse 9, I believe it was, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial. The exact word for memorial in the Greek is where we get the word in English, memorandum. You know what a memorandum is? Like an inner office memo. Okay, a memorandum is a letter written to you to remind you of things that have happened and also things to come. Hey, this is, this is what we did. Expect this to happen. It's an inner office communication. And it's a reminder of the purpose and plan that God has. And he wanted us to always tell this story as a memorial to reflect, celebrate, but also be reminded that just as Jesus did on the cross, just as Mary did at his feet, so are we to do. Let's all stand. You have been listening to a message from David Bendett, senior pastor of Rock City Church in beautiful Corpus Christi, Texas. David's prayer is for a deeper understanding of God's love and purpose for your life and that all of us would grow into a greater awareness of our identity in Christ. Thank you for listening. Until next time, and stay fired up.